documentaries, uh-huh. history, insights, interviews, chefs deep dive. And welcome to Shep's Deep Dive. And this week, we've got our original special guest. Yeah, he was here at the beginning of Shep's, when it was just Shep's and a bit of deep. Now it's Shep's Deep Dive, and he's back. He's Fat Boy Slick. He's in the house. having me back having you back i've been waiting how was know, how was how was your well, buddhist temple i thought you was meditating under a waterfall for th- for a month <clears throat> i wish <laughs> what, what was the last one we did lost boys well I, you, you see maybe i did you want to finish on a massive high because that maybe is... <laughs> that was it maybe, maybe that was it maybe i just thought in my head that that was closure <laughs> that was your 10th one as well that was your 10th one that was just your... 10 i think it was that was not 10 that's the tenth one you did, yeah. Oh shit! Really? Yeah. Oh, so what's this? Is this the seat? Is this like Lost Boys Two, which is like shit? <laughs> <laughs> That's what's, what's going to happen. <laughs> no, I was thinking of moving more like uh, Back to the Future. Gets better and better. Yes, Fat Boy Slick is back. We're doing a film. Or films. Mm, a film and films and cartoons and comic books and online gaming and flaming uh, not online gaming. It's the Matrix. You wanted to know what the Matrix is, Neo? It's the question that drives us, Neo. It's the question that brought you here. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. This is a war. The machines are digging. And we are soldiers. They're boring from the surface straight down to Zion. It's long as the Matrix exists, the human race will never be free. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. The Matrix. I, I love the Matrix. <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> I've got... So, right. Let's get out of it straight away. There's definitely bigger Matrix nerds than me, 100%, who probably know the whole of the mythology, played the shit game, watched the animation, which was probably quite good, as, you know, edit the fucking Wikipedia. I don't do any of that. I I love the first film. There's some really good themes in it that I wrote an essay on at uni, uh, and I was hugely disappointed by two and three. But I think I can talk about it. The thing <laughs> is, I let's, let's keep it. Let's dumb it down for our audience, yeah. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's dumb it down. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, well, for myself as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, with the Matrix, though, you always have to think like, 
I I love the first, like you says. The second and third, I was thinking, what the hell? And then the animation came out, and that explained it a hell of a lot more. What was it called? The Animatrix or something? Animatrix, yeah. But they, they explained it like it started off with a guy who was grooming his toaster and fiddling around with his toaster, and his toaster got upset, and then they tried to separate the robots away from man so that they could like live on their own little island and have their own like robot place right uh, and then they went to united nations to have like can we be declared as a a civilization and they said no and nuked the place and that what caused the matrix because the, the 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 robots rebelled sort of like skynet terminator oh, type cool. they rebelled right and they, and then the humans thought the only way to stop the robots would be to block out the sun, dickheads. Well, they didn't ever see Highlander so, 2. Is that what they're doing Highlander 2? I knew, I yeah, knew the ozone there was gone. Yeah. Um, so I was trying to write out the mythology of this, these, the, the Matrix universe, let's say. So I didn't know the bit of the reason, so I knew... So I knew machines had taken over the world, but I didn't know the background as to why they'd taken over the world. Right. So I reckon if you've got some casual listeners who've watched the films, may not have got it from the start. Should we try and go through the, like, the mythology of it? Like, how, like why, what is happening? Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's go. Right. Let's go. Let's go from the one. Yeah, like, <clears throat> because I I had to go away and read it because I kind of forgotten. But also when I was reading about, it, I was like, I remember that. I was like, but actually, it's so layered and unexplained, which is why I think so many people dislike the second and third films because the first film they were quite it's, it explained stuff quite up front. It, it presented you an amazing alternative world, and you're like, yeah, wow. Imagine if that was the case, like like, like the Terminator. You know, machines are taken over and everyone lived as batteries in an AI world. You can world. sort of see That's that. Amazing. That's a cracking but idea, yeah. The second and third one, trying to explain why they exist, because they are errors in the code, because there needed to be errors to balance out. And it's just so... Not only is it difficult to comprehend, but I totally think the second and third film, particularly third film, <clears throat> really arrogantly explained it at such a kind of complicated level yeah. that you'd sit there. There's a, there's a degree of films where you go along with it, you've got to think. But that, it was just incom. I just found it hugely incomprehensible. I, I, it took multiple views, which a lot of good films do. But I just found it was just... After three hours, in, in fact, at least an hour of the third film, is of them shooting a bloody flying robot thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's a difficult film to rewatch. For, for, so, so for being spectacular, it <laughs> hits all the marks there. And the groundbreaking in the cinematography is brilliant. But they just went way over the top with philosophizing the their existence in number yeah. two, which was just... Uh, it was like, oh my God, they're just... They're just wanking himself off with like, I've got a load of money. Here's a load of money. You can do what the hell you wanted with it. And it makes you think like it could have well been a perfect standalone movie, The Matrix, and just left. If that was the case, if they was going to just gone. Yeah, but if they would have just gone off and just, if you would have known what happened in two, I would have thought, just leave it as that then until the animatronics one come out or turn that into a movie because that explains the prequel to this. 
Well, it's a bit like what's happened with Terminator 1. They left it. He had no plans for a sequel. In fact, James Cameron makes movies when the technology advances, not based on commercial, just on commercial reasons. Hence why he's taken so long to make the next Avatars. Um, and that's why it took ages to make Terminator 2, because he wanted the technology to develop. It's probably one of the reasons why he went back to it. But he was, I think he was happy for T1 to stay as it was. And he was, in fact, he was happy for T2 to stay where it was. Yeah. And so they could have done it, but oh, the pressure from... Well, it's the, it's the mounting pressure. The, the, the film was what sixty million to make, and took nearly half a billion. And at that time, what nineteen ninety nine? That is probably that's that's like on the on the on the side of like a, a Cameron film, into and stuff like that. <coughs> and being yeah, new directors, they would have just been had everything thrown at them, saying, "Do another, do another, come on, do another." Yeah, completely, completely. Right. So, how about I try and explain the overall story? Yeah. And you stop me if I get it wrong. Right. Okay. So machines have taken over the world. Yep. They take they've waged war with humans and essentially they've won. Right? So the humans, but before that happened, the humans tried to the machines are powered by the sun. Yeah. So the humans thought, I know, well let's block the sun. And they did that, but what as a consequence they actually ended up killing humanity because it killed the biodiversity of the earth. And then the machines learnt to use humans instead as their power source, i.e. make us as batteries. Yeah? Yeah, that's so right. So they farmed and harvested us. Okay. But then they learnt <clears throat> that um, without a, a kind of stimulant, without hope, without the conscious being activated, humans as batteries didn't last long. So then they created a virtual reality world called The Matrix. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, to put people into, and the Matrix is set in the twenty-first, in, well, in the twentieth century, because that's when the film's made. Yeah, this is where it starts getting complicated. But the Matrix was too perfect and didn't give people choice, and as a consequence, um, people rejected the Matrix and fell out of it. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they learned that they had to put errors into the Matrix, and then try and. So people could fall out, but well, they kept they survived longer in it. Yeah, well, what they needed to do was to introduce choice to them. Mm. That was the whole point, wasn't it? They'd never had that in the algorithm that yes. that person had a choice. So as soon yeah. as they introduce a choice, that allows the person to go more or less what they think their own way. Yeah, but the problem is that some people, their body still there. Their, their strength of choice still rejects the matrix and would still eject themselves from it and escape. Yeah. Right? So then the, the machines need to try and keep as many people in, but still have choice in there. So what they did, they realized that if they give too many people, if they control the choice, but people still reject, they have to control those who come out because they'll just rebel. So then they create the, the dynamics. So people do leave because they're going to leave. Yeah. And that they think they're forming some kind of rebellion. So they control that rebellion so they can extinguish it when they want. That's how I no? get it. That, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and no, because 
there's a point I know I know we don't want to move on to we, we're just going to have to have a look at it as a whole story but in number two when he meets the architect he says this is the sixth time it's come round yeah. yeah the sixth matrix and at each point in time he gets a choice to kill all those people which are in Zion or that that place the the heaven you know what I mean that broke free or he goes off in the other way and he takes the alternate route that he hasn't took before so they can't comprehend that because they even though they, there was an element of choice, they always depended on him heavily on the choice of him killing his well, own people. It. Yeah, so well, this is the thing, right? So he jumped to uh, the chosen one. Yeah. Um, so they... It's, it's, it's so difficult to explain, isn't it? It is, it is really difficult. But it, I, I, the way I see it, because there's different ways to see it, and you know, I don't think there's anything definitive answer out there unless you get everything and study it. But the way I see it is Neo is there, the chosen one is there, but he's still an algorithm built within the AI machine. Because within the AI and the, um, the product of the programming... It also had rebel programming because they had to build so many AIs to combat the different cho- uh, choices. They had to then, uh, some of those rebelled because some of them was deleted and put to one side, which explained the French gangster guy and that, that world, them people that had to be these weird powers. They's, they was like uh, found within the main master system and yeah, it was like pushed to one side yeah. yeah and they buried it like a rogue program like when it's sort of like uh norton antivirus is a good good way to produce that is it many times you get a choice to delete it or it just gets stored and they're stored archived rogue data's what's going oh, and on and that's why so the so the machines recognize they need to reset the matrix yeah every so long to cleanse it to, to cleanse it yeah so they need to reset that, but at the same time, this this these people that they freed that they try and challenge rebelling, they need to kill at the same time as well. So they've kind of got two objectives, but they can't they can't just kill everyone in Zion, in in this in the rebels who live in the place called Zion. Yeah. Because <clears throat> because then people keep leaving the matrix because of the because that's what happens. They can't then control them if the if Zion doesn't exist. Exactly. Yeah. And they can't just restart the matrix because then everyone will just become free yeah, the, at the point they restart it. The trouble that they have is the people that leave Zion still has the ability to plug into the matrix. So they, like, yeah, that's, that's why they there. can't just kill them off because they know that they they have to go in and they're manipulating it from the inside and coming back in and out. Now, if they didn't have that ability to go back into the Matrix, then they could have just killed them and none would be the wiser. They'd be just by like dead batteries. They're gone. But yeah. because they've got so much uh, like interlayers within the Matrix themselves and manipulating things, it'll cause too much of a rush in the matrix so that's why like you said they've got to do both at the same time yeah but to control that rebellion to make sure that those rebels do certain things to lead them to the point where they can turn everything off they have to give them hope and they create a false hope yeah by creating the oracle within the matrix they know they'll plug into the into the matrix the oracle is created by the machines yes yeah to give to, to help humans because they need to give that to give them hope to, to keep it going. Exactly. But and then I guess the opposite of the Oracle is what's called the architect yeah. who built the the lead of the matrix. 
Well, also, there's a great point where the architect turns around and, and even though his oracle is his counterpart, he even says that if it was if it was her, if you've got to look at it, that like she's the mother and I'm the father. They both yeah. don't exist without each other. They had to. Yeah. They built that oracle to be, like you said, that golden hope of opportunity to lead them down that path to the, their own self-destruction. Like you said, it's got to constantly keep happening. But, yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? They, yeah. they create it to create. They have to create their own enemy to a degree. The machines do. Yeah, so, so they so can what, control the oracle, it. But what happens is that the oracle, over the years, learns as well. Yes, Although exactly. She's created, so she's, and that's why she kind of creates the one, the savior, which is in our case Neo, yeah. and try, tries to give everyone help to believe in Neo, and she gives Neo or the one. The, the the ability to manipulate the matrix he actually gets the master code of the matrix yeah and so then the machines when they learn this they realize they actually need that in order to reset the matrix as well anyway i'm trying to free your mind neo but i can only show you the door you're the one that has to walk through it but then you've got the the massive part of it well what took me a few watches like you said it took you a few times to watch it is the um the manipulation of mr smith now mr smith has been there like uh like i said like an antivirus to to be able to um shut down things and sort things out quite quickly within the matrix because he can take over a human um like dream world or in within the matrix he was in but then when neil passes through him he then gets a lot of programming for him to be able to go rogue. So when he's manipulating people then, he can more or less build his own army within yeah, there. That's why we join this that's why we join the, the whole story at this point, because yeah. typically it goes through a cycle where they build the matrix, the rebellion is created by the by the machines, let it develop, get the one created. He comes, he, he figures out, you know, to bring, he gets given the choice at the, toward the end of the Matrix's life cycle to restart it or just wipe out the whole of humanity, which will also wipe out the machines. And he always chooses um, to save humanity. Yeah. But we don't in this cycle because the Agent Smith becomes like a virus within it. Yeah. He, he was the antivirus trying to remove the hackers, but he's now a virus. Because he gets imprinted by the one Neo, yeah. he gets a bit of Neo's code in him, and that's why it's a, that's what I'd say. That's why this one we focus on the story because you have that at play at the same time. Yeah, is that it's the, the way the way his virus works of Mister Smith is Agent Smith is very typically to the to the worm and the way um, the the Russian hackers use it and Iranian hackers the way it goes into your computer and rather than destroy it, it slowly takes over all the uh, yeah. minion parts of uh, programming which you're not going to be looking into and then gets stronger and stronger. So in this part, it takes him a while to get to, get, get to that strength that he's able to take over the Oracle into and that's when he becomes more or less recognised, but it's too late then. The system's gone out of control and that's when the actual system requires Neo and he... Says it, well, when Neo comes, yeah, when Neo comes to make his choice, he he does what no other previous version of him has done, and choose and chooses to kill, chooses to not restart the Matrix and humanity because he does it because he loves 
he loves someone and that, that emotion had never been experienced by machines. They don't understand it. Yeah. And so he goes off to just fight and the machines panic because actually they realize they need Neo to get rid of the virus because they can't defeat that the virus that's in their system or bring them down anyway. Is that there? And do you know why? Do you know how, how does he, how is Agent Smith defeated? Okay. I can, I can picture it visually, but I, I can't explain how he does it. What, they have a big fight? Yeah, where they have that well, stupidly big fight and it goes on and on. They have a ridiculous yeah. fight, yeah. Well, what it is, is that um, Neo, throughout the film, always has to make choices and he has a choice and he chooses to fight Agent Smith and he chooses to give in to be defeated, right? He has that choice. Yeah. Agent Smith doesn't have a choice in anything he does. He can't, he's a computer program, so he can't make choices and his program is to just override everything compete and fight so when he learns that big fight but if he actually overtakes neo and kind of kind of like consumes him neo is actually the antivirus to him so if he consumes him he's actually going to destroy oh, himself and therefore but neo Agnes had to die to, to finish neo him had off. To, yeah and Agent smith is angered because he can't make choices. So he goes, I know I'm going to die if I consume you, but I can't stop consuming you. Ah, that explains that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was glad there was some bits we knew. <laughs> That's, is that explained in the effing film? No. But really? Not without a bloody essay at hand? All that we're asking in return is your cooperation. No, but you know what? Within... within... Within half an hour of us two chatting about it, I reckon if anyone listens to this, or hopefully listen to this, we've given quite a bit of an insight there, because both yeah. of us have watched it multiple, multiple times, and I've I, I've read the comics as well, and uh, it did actually was conceived originally as a comic, wasn't it? I think so. The Wiskowski brothers uh, was was sisters. working. Oh, sorry, sisters. Now, but then was brothers. Um, yeah, they originally conceived the idea in Marvel, but they didn't want to do it. No, it's not very Marvely though, is it? No, it's quite but, dark. So I believe it, and that's why when the film ends, there's a truce between humans and machines, and the old Matrix doesn't work. So they you make the fact the architect doesn't build the next, the eighth Matrix with the Oracle as part of it. Because they'd never experienced or come off as a consequence of seeing human love, they they create a computer. There's a computer program that was created out of two programs love for each other. So there's a, a young girl called Sari or something in the film who represents love and human emotion, and they let her build the eighth matrix. So right. That's why at the end of the third film, that's why the Oracle and the architect sat there together looking at like a a, a, a sunrise and going, hmm, it's really interesting what, what happens next. Oh, right. I and understand Neo, that Neo, now. So, do you know, I think it's in the third film when Neo is in this kind of purgatory space and he sees two programs trying to get on the train yeah, with a young girl. Because yeah. those programs are defunct, so they shouldn't exist, but they met up and they had that girl who was like a, as a consequence of two programs loving each other. So they're actually trying to escape from the agents and the matrix because they're going to get wiped out. Oh my god, you just blew me mind. Yes. 
get that because I understood that that train bit and the <clears throat> man on the train was the link, wasn't it? That was how you could pull things out and move things to one side, like the French uh, guy and stuff like that must have used a very similar way to pull in the pull in the people he wanted to join him. Yeah, you know I mean, bury them in that like like weird <clears throat> gangster state of a university created. Well, there's just so many metaphors though that are just so abstract. It's so hard to do, follow. Do you think there's too there's too much yeah, going on in that film? Yeah, film. that's what I was going to say. I can't remember what the key master, whatever he's called. I don't I can't remember what he does. I think he does. He get them to access to the the source code. I think. And the, this is the thing with the Matrix. They, they, they've had twenty years to build up the mythology. So there's like wiki sites, there's articles, there's, as I said, all the comics, the cartoons, which just go back and explain it all. I've read all that. I'm sorry. Um, what, I, what I find is, though, um, they didn't know. I think, I think the, the writers at the time didn't fully understand the way to go or the history of it. And I think I, got that impression. I think it would have been. I, I, they spent so long on the first film, they got it right, and then they were like, "Oh shit, we need to we need a backstory now to explain everything and move it forward." Yeah, and I think they struggled. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I reckon there was there was pressured into making it, and they did it. They could have got away with the first one, the second one, and then what? What I think what they should have done is done a prequel, and then or done the first, and then a prequel just to show that what that that cartoon version of it is amazing. If they did that as a as a as a film, that would have been tremendous. But it might have been edging yeah. it more towards. Terminator, like you says, and and they well, like the philosophy side, don't they? That's the thing, though. It's hindsight, isn't it? Because they made the two films, and then it wasn't until a couple of years after that they made the the animation. Was or did they come in between? I can't remember. I think they had so much on their play, though, didn't they? No wonder it felt really heavy. I was so excited for the second and third film. I remember watching a massive cinema, I walked away thinking, yeah, the action scenes were great, but. Didn't really know what was happening. Yeah, I th- that's where they they're famous, aren't they, for making a film which was groundbreaking at the time because of the use of the 360 degree multiple camera shots. What time? And yeah. um, and that blew everyone away. And the fact that it came roughly, you know, way before everyone started going mad on Marvel stuff. This is very like a a different superhero oh, from a sci-fi perspective, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? We had some shit sci-fi films in the 90s. Yeah, the only one you um, can ever Stargate remember is um, Terminator 2, you know what I mean? And Stargate, and then... Yeah, but I was like, 91, though, what, Stargate was crap. Yeah. Um, there were some bad sci-fi films in the 90s. This just completely blew them out of the water. This was very... Completely. This was off the time as well, and it's extremely stylized. Like you know, all the costumes and the settings and those shades he wears, and the, even the way they had the, you know, what I mean, the music in it complemented exactly what was going on at the time. Well, which so do you want me to which one? Which, what are those do you want me to talk about? So let's take the music. Yeah, music, music, um, which is brilliant in it, isn't it? So it's really so the music they chose is very is what I call hard big beat. So there's a lot of big beat artists in there. Yeah. If you take Fat Boy Slim, he makes kind of happy big beat, quirky, catchy stuff. The Chemical Brothers make some clever stuff, which isn't like 
isn't laden with hooks, but it's quite deep, it's quite clubby. And then you've got a load of artists who make really rough sounding stuff that was quite, quite, it's roots in techno. Wouldn't really quite be played in, in. It's like industrial type stuff, is it? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so they used a lot of that, but the, they used a song by Rob, Rob Dugan called, what was Rob, uh, Clubbed to Death. Yeah, yeah. That was, the, that was like. That was the, in the charts, wasn't it, as well? Well, the thing is, that had come out about four years prior to the film. Oh, I never knew that. He was so, yeah, he made that within the like the peak of like massive attack and stuff like that. Um, and they they'd heard the song, they loved it, made it. And Rob Rob D, I think he was known at the time, or Rob Dugan, he he kind of made a bit of a brief musical career in it. You know, he did he did a couple of original songs for the second film, he released an out a really good album, all orchestral music with beats in, and then he disappeared. Just disappeared. Oh, it's really? They don't make any music for like 20 years. And then a couple of years ago, he released an album um, very similar to his first album. I think he went and just kind of, in the money he made, he bought a, a, a winery in France. Jesus. <laughs> well, you can imagine yeah. everyone, this, the soundtrack alone from this uh, the first uh, film, just I, I think that hit the charts, didn't it? And I know this song must have went back into the charts after, after it um, became oh, famous. Oh, yeah, completely. It's a, it's a great song. There's a million it? different remixes all over as well. Yeah. It is a, I, it, I would definitely, if you can, search out the Rob Dugan. Rob Dugan remixes he's made and his album, which I just can't remember what the album's called. He's only got one, so the one yard five. But he did a really good, he's got a really great remix of Moby's Porcelain. Oh, is it? Like, completely transforms the song. Yeah, it's a fucking great remix, actually. Yeah. I, but but like, it's very stylized. But it's very, very stylized. stylized wasn't it? It? Yeah. You know what it did yeah, remind it was, me a little um, bit of, which comes on the back of um, Blade, the first one. The very everything so, black clothes, the, the the same type of you know, um, like black and white images, even though it's color a lot. What you're kind of referring to, so the way it's filmed is very. Which one do I start with? So the way it's filmed is quite comic booky yeah yeah um and it's very what it's called film noir yeah so lots of kind of funny angles lightings a certain way so especially the first five minutes of the film in that like skyscraper or whatever the, the apartment block where they have the fight that's very much that's that's really stylized like film noir and the um i can't remember the other the, the there was a black and white film that came out not a, couple, a few years after I bought a comic book one. Is it Frank Miller or something? Famous one. It's got those people in like Bruce Willis. Oh, and yeah. yeah. St- um, you know, that's film noir. That's a classic film noir done cartoon. And that would have been heavily influenced by The Matrix. So they do a lot of that. But what what you'll notice is when you're in The Matrix, everything has a green sheen to it. Everything's got a very subtle hint of green. Right. right, and some even sometimes when the camera moves throughout the scenes, it does so by going through like television screens and stuff like that. So it's trying to show you that when it's that colour, that's the matrix, and everyone, everyone's really everyone's very neatly dressed, everyone's very uniform, the shots are very angular and straight on, very symmetrical. Yeah, and that's because the matrix wants neatness and order. And then some people even wear like green ties or green braces. There's like hints of very strong green. So that's to tell you that you're in the matrix. Whereas when you're not in the matrix, everything is brown, 
kind of grey blues. Like the the scenery might isn't symmetrical. There's lots of things sticking out in the way. It's very muddy, very earthy. Yeah, yeah. So that was very. So they, that was two like really conscious things that they did there in terms of the style. Um, and then the fi- and then the way some of the things are framed as well because they both video games and then like the comic book. A lot of the action sequences are framed like Street Fighter Two. Yes, very, you very, you've got a hell of a lot of one-on-one battles of like a Street Fighter type of battle. One-on-one, on one. Yeah. yeah. And even that bit in the second film where they're fighting in the the foyer of the the, like the posh-looking building. Oh yeah, that's like it's um, like the opening scene to the film, isn't it? That it's more or less. Is that the one? Quite, it, it, apparently, they spent they spent ten, ten days making that. And there's no CGI. The whole lot of yeah. that is actual pyrotechnics. The one where they've got the staircase going up either side and talking about yeah. oh, it's right. like the chandelier in the middle. Yeah. See, that's framed like it's bloody Super Smash Brothers on the Nintendo. Do you know I mean it's 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 trying to show you like it's trying to make an art out of it. Right. Whereas if you look at the Bourne films, which came out a couple of years later, or even a year or so later, they popularised the style to film. Fighting now, which is really with a with um what's called a steady cam, yeah. The hourly beat, it's not it's unsteady and really close up. So if you watch the fighting in the Bourne films, you like feel every punch, you feel every attack. Yeah, it's very because close right, you, you're really close up. Yeah. That that style's continued up to then. Lots of action films have that now. In fact, they all do. They don't really present it like the Matrix anymore. But the argument is that in the Matrix, they didn't want you to feel. The punches and fights because it's not real. Yeah, yeah. So there's a real argument around that as well. But it was very cleverly thought about it. It's funny how they, they thought about so much, yet there was only very, very early directors, weren't they? Yeah, they'd only made a. Uh, they made Bound, which had been a success. I mean. Was that that thriller <sighs> they made? They, they made like a thriller before it, but the only reason yeah. they made it was to show people what they could do because they wanted to make The Matrix itself. Because they didn't really want them at first to make the Matrix, saying they they didn't know what they was doing. Yeah, I think Bound was like the most successful one, and it was a thrill. If you watch it, actually, stylistically, it's very similar to the Matrix. You have a lot like some of the shots are very clever, the colour schemes, the lights, really clever. But actually, if you look at the whole back catalogue of their films, I think only the Matrix, Matrix films, and Bound are the ones that have made any money. If you take in marketing costs, which don't usually aren't usually shown on the bottom line of making a film because they're used to promote the film. Yeah. I think every other film they've made has lost a shitload of money, which is nuts. Do you reckon that's because they had that, you know, like a very similar to, we go back again to uh, Back to the Future, like they had that one story, what they want. No, no, I don't know. Maybe. What, what in the same way you're saying Bob Gale's never made anything other than Back to the Future? Well, he, and yeah. Had he, had he done it, it might have been crap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? It could have been. I mean, they made Street... Have you watched Street Racer? Visually, there's some really good bits, but it's just boring. Yeah. These Fender, it's boring. I think they started to... Generally think they started to believe their own hype and thought they were... Uh, well, I thought that when they made V for Vendetta because I thought they wanted to really connect with this subculture which was booming. And, you know what I mean, uh, The Matrix seemed to uh, release a lot of that um, anarchic, um, you know, anarchy himself and on the internet. They seem to have a lot going with that. You know what I mean, they think they've been connected with some 
some the verbal quite verbal in interviews about their anarchic approach to politics and society and that's when when they did v for vendetta that just that was already a popular um uh, graphic novel wasn't it before yeah it was yeah yeah Yeah. i I think they were trying to repeat the success i I just wonder if they probably wonders if they were a one-trick pony could be the reason why they've gone back to it Matrix yes, 4. the Matrix Four is, and is that a direct sequel, or is it a prequel, or it's got so Keanu Reeves is in it, Neo's in it, but Morpheus isn't, Trinity is. Is it what happens in the next stage? Like, what story? It's taken them this long to decide to do it. What is what story have they got to tell? Is it you know? Is it is it an, an actual the next day sequel? Like, you know, kind of, does anyone know? I have no idea. I, I know that they have they have filmed bits of it and they're keeping quite quiet about it, aren't they? But like you says, they've done those three and sort of messed up the third. You could say that they messed up the second, really. They then did the animatronics and did a load of films. I honestly think they're just going back to the Matrix as a this is going to get uh, uh, bums on the seats. I I I really worry watching it, thinking it's. And they just go because what? Where can they go with it? The animatronics explain the background and the history for the Matrix. The Matrix well, concluded be. with him dying. So what are they going to do? Bring him back again? They must. Well, I, I looked at it. So they got two people who are helped. So only one of the Wachowski Lana sisters yeah. is doing it. The other one's not involved. Um, they brought in a guy called David Mitchell and some Alexander Herman to help write it. David Mitchell and Trustees from Southport. Oh, I didn't know that. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I'm confident. I like to think that they know what they're doing, but it's hard after the the second and third film. Really, I felt betrayed the audience a little bit. They, it was, it was, it was a great spectacle, but I think they asked too much of audiences. I think. I think the first one, you know, brilliant. Everyone loved it. They jumped on the second one, and then they threw out the third one. Um, but even through that short amount of time from 1999 to 2003 when he brought the last one out I think the third one people just had enough I think that it was over stylized and from, from the first Matrix to that one you also had a load of copycat films which similar way came out very stylized, I think one was called Gattaca I think where wearing like all black clothes and yeah. I think and people moved time, moved they? I think time moves so fast that um, people just thought, "Oh, right, we've seen this now," and they couldn't they couldn't complete it. Uh, yeah, I felt like they were trying to create the next new bullet time. Yeah. In each of the in the second and third film, so I can't remember which one it was. It might be the second or third one, but the first time that Agent Smith replicates himself, so Neo has a fight with like oh, 150 yeah. Agent Smith, was the first time that had ever been done. But I think it might have a step too far. I mean, even at the time, I remember thinking this is impressive, but it's it's so obviously CGI. Yeah. It wasn't quite uncanny valley. I was like, I see what they're doing. It's mint, great idea. But unlike Bullet Time, which felt real because it was real, because it wasn't CGI yeah. too much, was it? Except the bullet, it was actual real physical cameras in a circle taking kind of time lapse shots. Whereas that, it just it just became CGI with a and it, what, there was no practicality to it. Yeah, seems to be hunting for that 
that one it, thing. That's what it was. It felt like they were hunting for it. You know, um, I, I really think after the Matrix, they got a lot of smoke floating up their ass, and they thought they were like the next um, uh, Cameron. Yeah, Cameron, Cameron moves from States. different movie to different movie, though. That's the difference. He moves from different movies and has a stylistic approach and spend years creating that approach, doesn't he? And working on he, the cameras yeah. and everything. So it, he makes a film when he when he when he thinks he's got something to say yeah. and a new thing to show. Whereas these guys, I think it was they was they was more or less being young guys as well and being new to the scene. He just a load of people went, "You need to do the next one now." Do the where's that matrix? Yeah. So if I look. So the Vendetta um, actually did make money. The Invasion, never even heard of it, um, lost a load of money. Speed Racer, lost money, was crap. Cloud Atlas, I never even watched it. Oh, that was supposed to be the unfilmable film, <laughs> unfilmable book. Um, and that, that didn't even break even. Uh, no, and then Jupiter Ascending. Oh, that even, even the posters turned me off that. <laughs> So the word Jupiter Ascended just sounds like a 760s Doctor Who episode. Nearly cost, that, that film nearly costs, what, over three times as much as the original Matrix and didn't even make its money back. <laughs> space opera. Even the word phrase space opera strikes fear into most filmmakers, film goers. And it did. No one went. <laughs> no one went. No one went. Like a shit. And now they've gone back now, to the Matrix. Right. So if, you, if people didn't know, so one of the Wachowski brothers, did they have a sex change? They're a trans, the, the transgender now. Yeah, trans, woman. yeah, yeah. Um, so, so the Wachowski were brothers, a couple of years apart. They actually have two other sisters, you know. Oh, yeah, I've read about that. So one of them, so they're called Larry and Andy, now they're called Lana and Lisa. One of them, I know definitely, has become a trans woman. I read the the other one had as well. Yeah, but I don't know. He's called, but he's still married to. Is he's married to a woman still? I believe. And I can't. I've not seen any pictures of what she looks like, other than the last one I saw. She was still looking like a man. So had she has has she come out as a woman, but is still biologically, physically a man? Oof, I wouldn't know. I think there's something something like that. Oh, I'll be into that. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you one little thing, right? And and right, I'm not saying it's um, how connected it is, right? But goes back to around 19, 1994, and I was in. So is this a story? No, this is this is me. This is me. It might well be Matrix. It feels like the Matrix. Back, back, back in nineteen ninety four, I went to Windermere with my mate. Yeah. And we were staying in this youth hostel, and there was a load of Americans in there, and, and we was having a laugh and joke and stuff, and like playing backgammon at night, going out for a beer, and walking through the hills, having having a sneaky spliff and all this type of thing. Dogging, yeah, yeah okay. dogging. And then uh, we was chatting to these lads, and one of the lads was saying, "Oh, oh, right, um, my cousin, blah blah blah, is he's, he's trying to get this film off the ground." And I was like, "Oh, right, what's all that about?" He goes, "It's all about where." you're within uh, where everything what you see isn't the real world and everyone's asleep at the time and I was like what do you mean and he goes yeah well it plays out that you think you're in this real world but you're not you're in this other place at the time 
And I was thinking, oh, that sounds all right. Anyway, I kept in contact with pen pal with him because pen pals in them days, listeners didn't have internet. And then I kept in contact with him for about a year or so. And he would send me little snippets about this. Like, yeah, I might, I might try and get a job working with my cousin, hopefully doing this, uh, this movie with Tates of Ground. Never heard anything from it. Then Matrix comes out and I was like, it just sounded so real. He was from America. I can't remember what part of America though, but he said he had his cousin and he was talking about a movie he's trying to get off the ground where it was like within this person's dream world and it was being run and you didn't realise he was working. I was thinking, fuck, it must be that Matrix. <laughs> I'm just going to, sorry, I'm just going to sneeze. Bullshit. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh, that's not bullshit of me. I'm just saying it might be. I mean, well, what was this guy's surname? If you, t- if, if you suddenly turn around, oh, well, actually, it was called Wachowski, then yeah, it might be. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I think, I don't know. Ain't got so clue. back in 94, were they talking about this film back in 94? Because <laughs> if, I mean... Could have well been. Crikey. That'd have been amazing. That'd be amazing. It could have well been. Do you still write to him? Did he, did, how did... <laughs> who stopped first? Did they just stop sending you letters back? I think he just stopped. I th- oh, I think I remember... Me saying that I was going to go over to America, me and Ken, to New York, and if you wanted to meet up, and we never heard out. I just thought, there, yeah, just a couple of nutters. He's with, he's with his cousin going, do you remember that guy told us about in England? Would you believe he's going to come? He wants to come and meet up. Oh, my God, don't reply. Don't reply. Don't reply. But that, he was like I a like, machine, I like, he was. He was like a machine. And they're like, I've got an idea. Is it? I've got an idea. He had this big head. What? Like a massive head. <laughs> he kept saying he was the one. <laughs> I'm not saying it could be connected, but it always felt to me that, oh my God, it too, felt too much connected from 94 to 99. And then that came out and I was like, wow, this film sounds like that lad was talking about. <laughs> That's funny, that's interesting. You never know. Yeah. It sounds like it could be. Could well be. Yeah. But on the same when did you first on the same day as well, two German lads who was playing uh, a card game with us, one of them got hit by a car on the way back to you Where were you playing cards? In a pub in the in Windermere. And one got hit by a car and the other one got chucked out of the youth hostel for smoking spliffs. <laughs> The many adventures. The many adventures. Oh, of you need shit. to do an audible book where you just tell stories about your adventures around the Maybe world. Maybe I'm like a a a version of Forrest Gump. You know what I mean? Maybe <laughs> people meet me and without meeting me and giving the ideas to the Waskowski, it might never happen. Imagine it comes out in years to come that Waskowski say, "Yeah, we had the idea, but our cousin who met this English nutter." <laughs> Cliff Shepherd Forest Gump. <laughs> Could well be. Well, there's already some parallels. I mean, oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> My name is Forest Gump. Cliff I, I do run. I do run as well. <laughs> you dance. Do you play ping pong? I'm a... So, what? What's the catalogue of stuff that you could have influenced on? So, right. So, in the eighties and nineties, let's think what you See, influenced. Um... Right. So, obviously, you influenced the Matrix. You, what, created Wall Street somehow? I reckon the, the internet. Probably you. I was, I, that's probably, probably me, because I, I was always trying yeah. to like put computers together. I actually remember, here's the story, I actually remember sitting with my uh, IT teacher, and he was like, look at this cliff, 
I'm sending a message to this, uh, this uh, Manchester University on his computer, and it was a black screen. There was no GUI or anything. It was literally just letters coming up on the screen, and he could write on it, and they would write to him back. And he was like, "Wow, look at that!" So I was at the big, I was at the beginning of the internet. Fucking hell! <laughs> I'm gonna sneeze. I'm gonna sneeze again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you witnessed the first ever email. Okay. Did you give? Did you give? Um, <laughs> you can't remember his name. Did you give um, David Hasselhoff a, a leg up onto the Berlin Wall? Yeah, that was me. I I helped <laughs> him. <laughs> Actually, you... the Berlin Wall was all about me. I was having a piss. Someone ran up to me, said, "You oh, can't yeah, do that." Threw a brick. It hit the wall. Someone else started throwing bricks. The wall came down. Boom. The wall came down. That was it. You you were having another. You were trying to find somewhere to piss in the Gulf and. <laughs> Uh, you were, oh, sorry, mate. Sorry, mate. And then as you're walking out, there's some kind of neighbor who says, well, don't go in there. There's some guy with a long beard. He's, like, really angry because I had a piss. <laughs> and that's it. They went and killed, they killed like, Bin Laden or whatever. <laughs> if it wasn't for me, the world would be a different place. Think about it. I think so. That's a really funny thing. Adventures of Cliff and how you influence pop culture and stuff. We could do something like that, I think. Oasis, we're actually two pod posh lads from Surrey. They've just walked around with me and Ken for a year. And <laughs> <laughs> Martin Parswood Pub. He's really here. called Jeremy, and he has other one called Roger. <laughs> George Gallagher and Jerry Gallagher. You have to let it all go, Neil. Fear, doubt, and disbelief. Free your mind. Oh well, uh, right. I think we come to the end of the pod. <laughs> and I think so. Is there anything else to cover on the main? Well, we've done, we done the production, and we figured it out within fucking forty minutes. Which anyone listening to this, I'm going to put it out as you know, explanation of Matrix. I hope so. It's a hard one to explain. But we've had, we've had years of looking it into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the only other thing I would say, what's interesting. And you could throw this back to the Wachowskis themselves, is that the film is all about choices. The characters make you have to make choices. Do you want to take the red pill, blue pill? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? It's all about choices. And it's about the establishment trying to control them. And if you think about the Wachowski brothers, they will probably go through that oh, in their heads in terms of their sexuality. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I see that. It's the choices you make will be determined also who people around you will affect. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it makes a mockery of the choice because in the film, the machines control even the, even choice. the choices yeah. that they make in the real world, and it's like I guess that's what was troubling them at the time. Like they like, like I've been given this human body, but it doesn't matter. That's not the choice I'm making. I am female. So it could be it could be just one massive metaphor for transgender issues. Could could well be that'd be a good one to look into. So what could the fourth one be? Freedom, freedom. It could be. Could well be. Maybe. And what that what that feels like in a changed world. Maybe you know what it might be something as even as cheesy as the black velvet which is covering Earth disappears. You know what I mean? It could be just like oh, now we've got the, the sun. black velvet. Yeah, well, is that what they call the, the sky that they made? Uh, I don't know what they call it. I think it's something black. The black something even in the cartoons, and it might be something that cheesy that they might. Release it. Well, we'll see, won't we? We will see. I'm not sure I'll run out to the cinemas to see it. I might be like, because mm. it's gonna. Well, 
and I, yeah, it's going to be an interesting And I wouldn't one. say I'd watch the first three before I go and watch it, because that might wind me up even more. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not... No word of, I remember I remember coming out of the third one going... It was, I literally felt those 40 minutes of that guy on that gun in Zion shooting the ceiling. Yeah. It was just incessant. I remember even during the film, so I could talk, like, turning to the, per, the person I was with next to me going, so like, is this it? <laughs> It's just, just fucking that endlessly. It just went on too long. It was about it was about an hour too long. Wasn't it about yeah. two and a half hours the last one or something? They were long. They were long. I so when I I watched the first one in the cinema in Dallas with my mates on a Friday night. We were dead excited because it was you know targeted at older teenagers. I remember just coming out and going. We were all going. That's the best fucking film we've seen. And I remember just thinking it was amazing. I couldn't get over it. I, I just thought about it so much. It was such a great film. And then I was at uni when the second and third ones came out, and I remember going in Sheffield to like a massive, massive, it's probably the biggest cinema I've ever been in. It was like, it was huge. It was just full of students who were all eager to see the film. And at the end of it... Every, everyone was pissed <laughs> off. Honestly, it was, it was like, yeah, it was like result day. <laughs> <laughs> everyone was just sort of like, oh, that's not what I was hoping to get. <laughs> well, I, I watched the, the second one, or the, the first one with Kent, and then the second one, the one with my mum and dad and Kent at the Trafford Centre. And my mum was, I could I could hear her quite vocally going, I don't know what's going on. Well, you never even saw the first, did you? So, <laughs> poor mum <laughs> dragged into the cinema to see it. And then I saw the third one when I was down in London, because I was living in London then. I saw it with my mate, and we just came out and thought, I'd better have a drink. <laughs> Let's go watch some else. Yeah. <laughs> Let's watch X Men, which I think came out at a similar time. Yeah, it's a tough one. It was, a, it, it was such a letdown for audiences. It still made a shitload of money because everyone just wanted to know what happened, but you find out what happened and you don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, it just cheats the audience. It just annoys me. Well, we'll have to see what happens anyway. with the fourth, won't we? Yeah. But, yeah. but also, uh, what should we finish off? Should we do the great song out of it? Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I'll put that on as the end. Yeah, and not only that, is I can actually play this song a little bit as well. The piano bit, I can play it. I taught myself to oh. play it. Oh, no. You see, I I influenced this guy. <laughs> I met this guy in France. I was, in fact, I went on this wine trip, and there was another guy who was on the tour with me, and he loved wine. And, uh, yeah, he, was a, he said he was a musician, too. So I played him this little ditty. I kept whistling it all the way around. And he was like, can I, can I use it? And I was like, yeah, go ahead, no problem. So I man. <laughs> Good not to do that on all the pods now. <laughs> Cliff's influence. <laughs> of the gremlins. <laughs> right, I will say goodbye to Fatboy Slick and thank you for coming back to Shep's Deep Dive. I'll be back. Oh, I'll be back. I'll, I'll, I'll be back. back. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Cheers. Right. See you later.